0: Okay, it's the end of 2018. We're looking at a brand new year. And our reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay, if you joined us on Christmas Eve, you might recall we celebrated the Incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ and particularly what we celebrated that Jesus came to redeem human nature. He came to be one of us to fix human nature because he was perfectly human and he lived for us perfectly and then he died in our place. He was our substitute. He paid for our sins, and he rose from the dead, triumphant over the grave, and gives to us a new nature. And what that means, practically, is that we do not have to love people or treat people the way they treat us. We can love people and treat people the way that God has treated us. And we didn't deserve his love. We didn't earn his love. And so this idea of loving others the way that God loved us Paul talks about all over the place in the New Testament, but especially here in what we're going to look at today, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. So, look at it this way. Every day we wake up, we take off our pajamas, we put on our clothes. It's a new time. There's a time for everything. We're at the end of a year. We're starting a new year. We have periods of new time. There's time for sleep, and time for sleep is over. Now it's time to wake up. We transition from what was to what is. And thank you all for doing that, by the way, getting dressed for church today. We all understand that once we're done with that particular season or time, the transition requires change of clothing and so Paul is going to use this cross-cultural or universal experience that people wake up every day they take their pajamas off their sleeping clothes they put their clothes on and what he is saying is that as we dress our bodies every day we also need to dress our souls and we need to put on love We need to dress our souls in the character of Christ. And what he says is you put off your old way of life before you you met Jesus and you put on your new way of life after you come to know the Lord. Put off earthly ways of doing things and put on heavenly ways of doing things. Earlier in chapter 3, He said, seek the things that are above, not the things that are below. Put your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated. And in the context of the book, he's going to deal with relationships. How do we treat each other? It's not treat people the way we used to treat them. Let's treat them the way that God treats us. Let's not treat each other here at Peace Lutheran Church where we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's not treat each other the way that the culture dictates. Let's think of treating each other as if we were in the kingdom of God. And we are. Think of heaven. Think of being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Think of how We will treat one another forever. And let's start to work on those kinds of relationships now. So the first thing that Paul tells us is to be who you are. This is your identity. Once you know who you are, then you know what to do. You need to understand that your identity is not achieved by you. It's received by you. If it is achieved by you, then you have to perform. And that means that if you do very well, well, you'll get proud. And if you fail and don't do very well, you'll get depressed. And for most people, they try to earn their identity. And it goes from emotionally highs to emotionally very low and they're on a roller coaster of highs and lows in their life. There is no consistency in their identity if their identity is based on their activity. We receive an identity from God and that informs how we conduct ourselves. So he's going to tell you who you are. And this is so very important. So maybe parents, family, friends, co-workers, critics, people that sought to harm you, maybe they told you who you are in the past. Maybe you never really been called who you really are. Paul tells us who we are. And listen to these words. Before he tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. God's chosen ones. Holy And beloved. Now, I don't know how anybody could read this book and not love it. For us to hear these words, God's chosen, holy, and beloved. And we're going to unpack that this morning. Before he tells you what to do, he tells you who you are. If you know who you are, then you know what to do. And he says, you are chosen. Now, how many of you feel that, yeah, you get chosen, but it's only for bad things? You're unemployed, you're sick, your dog ran away. We tend to feel like we've been chosen for bad things. God is one who chooses us for good things. Now, some of you have been rejected by people in authority. Maybe your own parents, maybe even your own father. And some of you have lived your life like in an orphanage. And the concept here is that there there was a king and there was an orphan. And the orphan was chosen to be adopted, to be taken home and loved and given the family's last name to enjoy all the blessings and benefits of the family. That's what happens when you become a Christian. It's just like that. God becomes your father. He chooses you. You get the family name of Christian. Jesus becomes our big brother and the rest of us become your extended crazy family. That we call the church. Amen? You are chosen. I want you to understand that. And I want you to receive that. It's not that you've earned it. God has chosen to love you. And God is not going anywhere. He's chosen to adopt you. He's chosen to have a relationship with you. Now, sometimes questions will be asked, like, why me? Why did he choose me? And the answer is, I don't know. I'm just glad that he did. I'm glad, I'm just glad that God chose me. How many of you are married? And you have thought, or you should have, Why did my spouse choose me? Why did they marry me? Why did they marry me? Why did they choose me and and I don't deserve them, but I'm sure glad they did. You don't need to figure it out. You just need to work it out and enjoy it. We don't always understand why God chooses us. We just need to enjoy it and live it and say, thank you, God. Thank you for choosing me. Just like the child that's been adopted, they might, n- may not ever understand why the parents chose them. Maybe there is no other reason than that they are loving and gracious people and they wanted to love someone. So that is really all they need to know, that they are loved, and they are secure in their relationship, and the family cares for them. You have been chosen by God, and you are holy. Now, how many of you don't have that on your resume? Holy. Or on your Facebook or LinkedIn page? Holy. What does it mean to be holy? Part of it is connected to chosen. When you are chosen by God, you are adopted into a royal family. And we don't really have a royal family here, but over in Great Britain, it's a big deal. Always on the news. And if you are part of a royal family and a child is brought into the royal family, well, a big deal is made of it. God is your father. That means you are adopted into a royal family. And being holy means that you are special, set apart. You are sacred. You are significant. You are valued you are treasured you are important some people have never heard these things about themselves holy means set apart now the opposite of holy is profane it is to take something sacred and treat it as common to take something that is special and treat it as ordinary and i'll give you example of something that is profane and holy now, there are certain days that are holy. We call them, yeah, we, we used to call them holy days, but now we call them holly, holidays. And that's too bad because these days were meant to be special. We set them aside to do things that we never otherwise do. Often traditions. Christmas is a great example. But there are also holy Moments. They are windows of opportunity that once missed cannot be replicated. Just think of some of those special moments in your life. For parents, it's the birth of a child, it can't be replicated. Or how about a baptism? Can't be replicated. Or a confirmation? Can't be replicated. Or how about your wedding? How about the exchange of vows at the altar? not to be replicated. Take a wedding, for example. There's the bride and groom up in front of the church, in front of the altar. They're about to exchange super important words, their vows, and at that moment, someone's phone rings. Everybody's thinking, really? Really? This sacred moment, really? And then the guy answers his phone and starts talking. And it's not like it's an emergency. You've got to be kidding. Everybody's looking at him, and let me tell you, if everybody's looking at you, then you've got a problem. Some people think that an interruption like that's not a big deal. Yes, it is. This isn't just any other day. This just isn't any other moment in life. This is their wedding day. This is a holy day for them and all their family and all their friends. That bride's been dressing up since she's a little girl getting ready for this moment. This is a sacred moment, a special moment. It's a moment that is set aside not to be treated like any other. Now you think about other holy moments. Think about it, like worship. Not to be treated like any other moment. There is a time for everything, isn't there? So you are God's holy people. You've been set aside for service in the kingdom. Your father is royalty. You are part of his family. The way that we are to conduct ourselves is not the same as everybody else because we are to live in light of the kingdom, which is the rule and reign of God in our hearts, not what the culture teaches us. God tells you you are holy before he tells you to act holy. So he says that you are chosen, you're holy, and you are beloved. And what that means is that God has great affection and devotion towards you. Now, most of the ladies understand this term beloved, and they receive it. The guys, on the other hand, not so much. We're not used to being called beloved. Nobody calls you men beloved. But understand that this is your Father telling you He loves you. This is God the Father telling you that I've chosen you. You are sacred, special, because I love you. This is the Father's heart, the Father's devotion and the Father's affection. Now, this is why you need to receive this so that you can be healed up. Now, some of you, your life has been marked by rejection. Not been chosen, treated as if you're insignificant or in, unimportant, you know, put off to the side, treated as if you didn't exist because there were more important people in the room and things around you. And some people don't get this kind of love today. So, this is the Father's way of healing you up, giving you an identity, and that will transform your activity. So, once you know that you are God's chosen, holy, and beloved, then you know who you are, and you can have compassionate hearts, kindness towards others, humility, patience, and bearing with one another. These are the things that we put on in the morning when we get up. Just like we clothe our body with clothes, we also need to clothe our souls with the character of who we are, the character of Jesus Christ so let's take a look at some of these compassionate hearts which means one that is considerate of others Proverbs says guard your heart it is the wellspring of life your life your words your motives your desires they come out of the heart that's why that when you become a Christian Jesus gives you a new heart so new stuff can come out of it The old saying, what comes up in the bucket is usually what was down in the well. Well, in our relationships, what comes out in our relationships reveals our heart. And when we are in relationships with one another, when we put on the identity of being a loved, chosen child of God that allows us to start to put on compassion. And this is the character of our big brother Jesus Compassion means literally with feeling. I care for you. I see you. I consider you. I notice you. I have empathy for you. And let's just be frank this is really lacking in our world. This is not something that is common in the culture, but it is common in the kingdom of God. The next one is kindness. That also means to be considerate of others. How do you feel? What do you want? What do you need? And this is incredibly lacking in our age, the age of the selfie. I mean, it's very interesting that for a long time we had these cameras, you know, point and shoot, and it was used to take a photo of you. Take a photo of you, click. Take a photo of you, of these people here, my family, click, click, because you mattered to me to take a photo of you because you mattered. To take a photo of you because you mattered. Then we figured out how to turn it around. And now we take selfies. Me, me, me. More pictures of me, me, me. Oops, more pictures of me, me, me. Oh, I actually got a picture of you in there. Click, delete. We live in a world where we are the center of it all. And all we do is look at ourselves and take videos of ourselves, post them for everybody to see, ourselves. Kindness is understanding that, hey, there are other people in this picture we call life. And we need to consider them. We need to be present for them, caring for them, trying to be life-giving for them. That's what kindness means. The next one is Humility, it's not a virtue in our culture, is it? Pride, the opposite, is a virtue in our culture. In the Bible, pride is a vice. Humility is a virtue. And that's just got completely flipped around in our present day culture. Remember, Jesus is called humble. The Bible says that he came not to be served, but to serve. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that he set aside his rights and he humbled himself and took on the place of a servant, of one who came to serve. Humility, the root of which literally means to know your place. The Bible tells us we're not gods and goddesses. We're not animals either. We are under God, but we are over lower creation. That's our place. Knowing your place is, if you're a child, it's honoring your father and mother because that's your place. If you are the president of a company, this means that you go to work but you're humble enough to accept the place that God has positioned you. You have a lot of responsibility and you need to be humble enough to accept that assignment. Similarly, if you're the company, if you're in the company and you're the janitor, you need to be humble enough to know you're not the CEO. And that you're under authority and God has given you a very important job and work to do and you need to be humbly enough to accept your position humility is knowing your place accepting your place and that will allow think about it if everybody was understood their place think about it that will allow a culture of respect a culture of order it brings order into the home it brings order into relationships The reason why we have so much conflict and discord is because that's what happens when proud people have relationships. Think about it. I mean, I've been in the ministry for many, many years, and I've seen lots and lots of relationship conflicts. I've dealt with a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of nasty and mean and hurtful conflicts, but I've never seen them between two humble people, because humble people don't escalate Conflicts. They don't escalate problems. They don't bring as many difficulties as they do solutions because a humble person knows their place. They respect authority. They accept God's assignment for them. They're not trying to climb the ladder and take others down or jockey for position. Humility is so countercultural and yet it is so needed in our world. Another one meekness. I love this word. How many of you automatically heard weakness? The person who is easily controlled, easy to roll over, the somebody who doesn't have any spine or backbone. I said meekness, not weakness. That's not what the term means. Jesus was meek and lowly. What this means is someone who is very tough and also very tender. It's power under control. It's strength under direction. So if you're only tough all the time, you will be domineering overbearing personality. If you're only tender, you're gonna get run over, you're gonna enable people, you're gonna be a victim all the time, you'll allow other people to be harmed. Meekness is knowing when to be tough and when to be tender. And it's being tough and it's being tender even though you are tough. I like to think of a soldier. The guy goes overseas to fight the bad guys, gotta be tough, gotta be resilient. He rescues people. Then he comes home and the soldier is tender with his family. The soldier comes home, son wants to wrestle with dad. Dad gets down on his knees, lets the little boy pin him. True or false, the dad could have won, but he was meek. Though he's tough, he chose to be tender for consideration of the one whom he loved. And that's what meekness is and that's what Jesus is. He's tough for his people, he's tender with his people. And most of the time we're tender, but sometimes we need to be tough. And that's great strength under control. And how about this one, patience. Each one of us has something we need to work on, right? Patience is the number one most people choose. We got a lot of impatient people in this world, and I believe our culture can make even patient people impatient. How many of you are impatient? Okay, enough on this point. Let's move on. Let's, this has taken way too long, Pastor. Now, all of this together means that we can be bearing with one another. And this is what relationships are really all about. Bearing with one another says that we will allow our relationship to continue in spite of our differences and sometimes even over issues. To be biblical means to be relational. To be biblical means the truth matters and theology matters absolutely. And if you read the Bible clearly and correctly, the point is to be loving and have healthy relationships. And the Bible says that when we understand our relationships with God, our relationship with God, and see how he treats us, it causes us, it causes us, the love of God causes us to treat others the way he has treated us. That's biblical. Does this mean that issues don't matter? That truth doesn't matter? Of course it matters. Look at it this way. There are relationships and there are issues. Issues are important, but relationships are more important. You see, if someone is wrong, has wronged you, you won't be able to help them. If you don't have a good relationship with them, you won't be able to love them. If you invest in the relationship, the relationship will be strong enough to deal with any issue. If the issue is more important than the relationship, then all the relationships will blow up anytime any issue comes up. All you parents have noticed this, and if you haven't, you will when your kids become teenagers. If you don't have a good relationship with your child, you can't influence them and you can't work out the issues and the issues will blow up your relationship. And it's so unfortunate. So, so important. Loving relationships are the mark of good theology and loving relationships allow us to deal with our issues. If people know that we love and care for them, they are more likely to listen to us and to allow us to help them and influence them in a godly way. And this is really the big point of what Paul is driving at. Who you are as a child of God, every morning as you prepare physically for the day, you also need to prepare your soul spiritually so that you can live your life relationally. So you put on the character of Christ. You allow God's love to flow through you to others. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The reason why we as Christians sometimes struggle with our relationships is because we're trying to carry them out on our own strength or according to the culture rather than according to the kingdom. God calls us to a new life, and he gives us that new life. The strength, the courage, the model, all of that he gives to us. The help we need to live the new life he's given us, amen? He tells you who you are in Christ, and then, He tells you to act like who you are. I love this book. Amen.